This is Dr. Stan May, and you're listening to Drawing from the Well, a weekly podcast by Chronological Bible Teaching Ministries. This is Jonathan Doolin here once again with Dr. Stan May to explore some of the discovery questions from Tyndale's one-year chronological study Bible. The first question that we'll consider today is why does the Lord encourage his servant after he runs from Jezebel, and what is God teaching us from this story? Jonathan, the stories of Elijah are some of the most encouraging stories in the Bible. Elijah has seen God work mightily both in the drought and then in the storm. God ends the drought with the fire that falls from heaven, but sends the storm in response to Elijah's fervent, faithful prayer. God's fire has fallen. Israel's repented. The prophets of Baal are dead. He's run over 15 miles from Mount Carmel into Jezreel, leading leading Ahab's chariot on the way, if you think about that. And it's the first rain in three and a half years, so it probably was a slippery, tiring run, as uh, as well as everything else he's facing. And after a day of spiritual of a spiritual high like that, he's exhausted. Perhaps he thought that the king would defend him and shield him. Instead, he gets this message from Jezebel that she's going to kill him. And in terror, the Bible says he's afraid. He fears for his life, and he he runs, he flees, he's discouraged. And he prays on the way that he might die. But he really doesn't mean that because if he really wanted to die, all he had to do was stay there and let Jezebel take care of that. So it's obvious not what he wanted. But God shows him such incredible mercies. He runs. He's exhausted. He lies down to sleep. The angel awakens him, feeds him with angel's food, lets him sleep again, wakes him up again, cooks him another meal, and feeds him and then gives him strength for the journey. When he finally meets with the Lord, the Lord doesn't speak to him out of all these big events that he sees, the earthquake and the storm. With a still, small voice, the Lord speaks to Elijah and gently rebukes him. What are you doing here? But strongly encourages him. And he renews him. He gives him a new challenge, a new vision of his calling, and a promise that his work is ongoing, that it will last. How encouraging that is for us today. What a reminder that we may fear. We may get tired in the work. We may even be tempted to run away. But the God we serve factors all that in and still loves us and still comes to encourage us. Amen. Amen. Next, why is the alliance between Ahab and Jehoshaphat against God's word? And why does Jehoshaphat, who we're told is a good king, even one of the kings who leads a revival in Israel, Why does he make such an unwise treaty? As a backdrop to this, Jehoshaphat is one of the four great kings that in in Judah's kingdom and does many, many good things. This is perhaps his only flaw, and it's it might seem incidental. Oh, just a marriage, just an alliance through marriage, taking a wife of another king. They did this all the time in the Oriental world. We know this. But Jehoshaphat knew that Ahab was a Baal worshiper, and that Jezebel was a wicked influence on him, and that God had commanded his people even in the law. I mean, if you remember Deuteronomy 13, he tells him to put to death the Israelite who leads the people to follow another God. He knew from that that God wanted him to make no treaties with with Ahab. Perhaps Jehoshaphat felt like he could influence Ahab. 
You know, it might be that he thought, well, maybe I can do some good for him and show him all that God's doing. Because when they're together, he says, is there no prophet of Yahweh we can pursue? We can ask, is Jehovah God not here? And he might have thought he would bring restoration. Alliances with evil, however, always bring harm to God's people. Jehoshaphat could never have foreseen the destruction that his daughter-in-law would wreak on his own family one day in the future. Hmm. Next, how does Micaiah descri describe the prophecy that he gives to Ahab, and what does that tell you about the nature and importance of prophecy in the Old Testament? We're tempted to think that the prophets just wrote down messages, but often we discover that it's far deeper than that. If you remember, Samuel tells, uh, in the book of Samuel, we're told that when you went to see the prophet, you looked for the seer. The seer is the person who gets a vision from God. And it's because he literally sees it. Micaiah is not describing an event or coming with a message that he cooked up, but somehow in God's mighty power, Micaiah has seen a vision of the heavenly court. He has heard the Lord speaking. He has seen the judgment that will befall. He has seen Israel scattered on the mountains. He's seen this. There's no question in his life that it's going to happen. As sure as he's alive, he knows Ahab's going to die. There's no question in his heart because he's seen it. And what this demonstrates to me is first the divine influence on prophecy, that it is God showing his prophets what he's doing, giving them revel revelatory information. And he shows that not just by these visions, but by their consistent fulfillment. The words of the prophets can be trusted both because they originate from God and they're fulfilled on earth. But God warns us not to make alliances with evil. And in the New Testament, this becomes even more apparent when God commands us not to be equally, unequally yoked. Marriages between believers and unbelievers, business partnerships between believers and unbelievers, and even churches pandering to unbelievers can bring consequences of evil and invite the judgment of God just as they did in Jehoshaphat's day. Hmm. Amen. Next, how did Joram and Jehoshaphat view the Lord differently when they and their armies are in need of water? And what does this tell you about their hearts? This story is so interesting. They march, uh, they plan an, to, an attack on Edom, and they march together, and they end up in the desert, and they're dying of thirst. Joram says, the Lord brought us here to do this to us. What an attitude, blaming God. And you see, unbelievers have a tendency to blame God when they have problems. Jehoshaphat, on the other hand, says, let's find a prophet from God and see what God's up to. Let's seek God. And this is perhaps the clearest mark of, the, of regenerate people is that in a problem, instead of blaming God for everything, they turn, they turn to him and seek him, seek his wisdom and his guidance. Hmm. Yeah, and we all, we've already noted the difference in a previous episode in the Israelites grumbling when they were in the wilderness and David, when he has a problem, bringing it to the Lord. And you see yes. a similar difference here. Yes. Next, how does God curse the young men who mock Elisha? And what does this judgment on them teach us about respecting God's leaders? When we read the story, uh, some of the older translations said children. 
And people wondered, why would God be so mean to children? But the word in Hebrew is not children. It's young men. It's youths. And it's youths who are disrespectful and rebellious and, and really out of control in a respect-oriented culture. I mean, because we, Israel was a respect-oriented culture. In our egalitarian world where we think everybody's equal, we find that hard to fathom. But in, in ancient Israel, God had taught his people to honor the gray-headed and to, and to honor the priest and to exalt the old man, to listen to them. And God had even pronounced in the law judgment on rebellious sons. You remember what happens if a family has a rebellious son who's an older boy, he's drunk, he's, he's rebellious and defiant. They're to take him out with all the village and stone him because God teaches rebellious rebellion is that serious. And so when these men mock God's leader, what they do is they dishonor God and they dishonor his servant. Now, even Paul, when he was confronting the high priest when he was being confronted about the gospel and he said something, one of the men said, you should not revile the high priest. And Paul said, you're right. That's God's word. I shouldn't do that. I didn't know he was this year's high priest. And so Paul respects the high priest and Timothy. And in Timothy, Paul commands us to honor leaders that are leaders indeed, not to rebuke them at all, but instead to entreat them as fathers. So I think this is a an ongoing lesson that we, especially in this age, need to hear. In a, in a world that disdains leaders and mocks them, we need to be a different caliber of people. We need to remember to respect leaders. Now, sometimes it's hard, but it's still commanded. Hmm. Amen. Lastly, why do the four lepers decide to tell the people about the abandoned Aramean camp, and what good news should we share with others? This is such a fun story. You know, the, it's it's probably wasn't fun in the day. The famine was heavy upon the city. People were starving. And these lepers decided, what have we got to lose? Let's go out because all they can do is kill us. And we're already going to die. We're going to die of starvation or leprosy. So what does it matter? And when they get there, of course, we know they find that the camp has been abandoned. The Lord's caused the Arameans to hear the uh, what sounds like an army coming to march on them. They flee in terror and leave everything. They get there and begin to plunder the tents. They find food. They probably eat this. They're sick and then grab all the stuff they can find and hide it. But when they do that, they say, what we're doing is not right. We have good news to share and we're keeping it silent. Even though if we looked at the situation, honestly, we might understand them because they have a disease that's caused them to be kicked out of the camp. People have mistreated them and excluded them. They're the ones who've been kicked out. They're the ones who took the risk to come out on their own. They're the ones who have been suffering. And so we might say, oh, well, they have every reason not to share. But even though they have all these rationales they could use, these lepers are wise enough and kind enough to realize everybody needs to hear this good news. So they go tell a starving city that food is available and in the same way, we who've received the good news of the gospel need to see that keeping it to ourselves is not right. There's no justification for it because the lost are starving for the bread of heaven and they're eating garbage can bread and we have news to feed them the bread of life. Amen. Thank you, Dr. May. Thanks for joining us. Listen in each week with CBT as we draw from the well of the Word 
to answer questions from the weekly reading of the One Year Chronological Study Bible. 